following program is a proud member of the Palava family of podcasts. Check out all the shows over at palava.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-I.com. Come on, Chalmy. You fired Skinner for less than this. Yeah, I did, but Skinner really bugged me. Besides, the way America's public schools are sliding, they'll all be this way in a few months. I say lay back and enjoy it. It's a hell of a toboggan ride. Well, cockily-doodly-doo, little buddies. Let's thank the Lord for another beautiful school day. Thank the Lord? Thank the Lord? That sounded like a prayer. A prayer? A prayer in a public school. God has no place within these walls, just like facts have no place within organized religion. Oh, good. There you are. Let's get started. Somebody's gonna have to make a stand. One day, somebody's gonna have to say. So, been trying to record a show now for five days, and it hasn't worked. So, this is episode, what is it, 148. So, say hi, Frank. Hi. Yep, so I'm doing the show with Ellen, because Frank couldn't make it here till late tonight, and it's Friday, and I have to be, I have to be into Boston before people start getting there for the Bruins Parade. Otherwise, I'll be sitting in traffic all morning. So, ready to get going? Yep. All right. So, um, well, it's, it's not like we go to an audio clip or anything. So, we've seen some movies. Yes. So, I figure we can review those. I think maybe uh, I talked a little bit about Kung Fu Panda 2 last week, but I'm not sure. So, why don't we start with X-Men that we, of course, saw in the theater. Okay. After the third one, I didn't, I didn't, the, the, I didn't have much faith that somebody would get it. You know what I mean? Understand? Like, like singers, singers, ex, you all right there? Your eyes yeah. squinty. Am I just too bright for you? Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, it's been bad with the pollen. Is your eye itchy? Nope. Well, what's the problem? I don't get where you're going at all. Oh, Brian Singer made the first two X Men movies. Okay. And they were all right. They were they were pretty good. And then the the third one got made. Okay. With Phoenix and Dark Phoenix and Magneto and the Cure and Angel and all that. And they tried to cram a bunch of characters in there, but they didn't really develop a whole lot of them, did they? No. So X-Men kind of sat for a little bit while Spider-Man and Batman and everybody get all the, the press, right? Right. This one is totally, it was totally overshadowed, I think, by all the pre-press for Captain America and Thor and Green Lantern and even the next Batman movie. And it kind of just came out and people loved it. Set in the 60s, um, revolves around the Cuban Missile Crisis. And 
I had my doubts as to whether that could actually work. You know, would people buy into that time frame? But I guess maybe Mad Men kind of familiarized people with that time frame. Maybe that helped. Because it's not, it's not something a time frame I can wrap my mind around very easy. I don't know what it was like back then. So, overall, what did you think? I liked it. <laughs> okay, you need to do more than that. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> it seemed to me it did what Batman did. Batman went. Batman more, Begins? Yeah, that, that went to a more serious. It actually told a really good story and it wasn't campy. Mm. It had humor in it, but it wasn't campy humor. Right. right. And X-Men seemed to do the same thing. It, instead of being like, ooh, look who this is. Ooh, look who this is. Ooh, look yeah. who this is. Oh, ooh, and, they have bright costumes. I'm talking bright no, costumes, I, well, I was going to add to that. And look who we got to play them. Right. It seemed more the story and the people and the character, what it, the others really should have been. Mm. Like, I like, in the other ones, you know, they introduced Wolverine and... and um, Rogue and everything, but right, right. the story got lost hmm. in the parts. Parts of it got lost. It yeah. felt to me. Yeah. Now there's a there's there's a couple of things in first class that we won't talk about. Obviously, you know, spoilers and cameos and stuff like that. Um, all very satisfying, I thought. But this focuses on havoc, mystique. Uh, Banshee. It was nice to see Banshee finally, you know, being represented, you know, in a, in a really good way. Um, who who were the other ones? Oh, Magneto, right? <laughs> Am I missing somebody? Oh, Beast. And he started off human, which was great. Right. That was that was that was really nice. Uh, it plays around with the continuity a lot. Like characters introduced in the '90s are back here in the origin part, but who cares? It's a movie. Um, what I really appreciate, because you you love prequel type flashback type stories. Yes. B- what I really liked about it was how they came to things very organically. Yeah, it wasn't like dun dun dun. Turn to the camera and dramatic effect for geeks in the audience to go woo. Yeah, there was Every- only one of those. Everything was really subtle, and yeah. it played character wise. It didn't play story like. They didn't it, set the scene up around a reveal. Right. It, it was more, that's what happened. It, yeah, it worked into it. Um, and there, there's a lot of character motivations and, and development stuff that obviously we don't want to spoil. Mm-hmm. Um, but coming up with the names, I, I thought it was very interesting how they came up with the, the name X-Men for the group. How that just, once you hear the one side of it and then they say oh so we should be the x-men it's like oh yeah obviously mm-hmm. and yeah i don't get that kind of satisfaction out of out of movies a whole lot where it's so obvious and they work it in so seamlessly that it's that it's you really appreciate the fact that somebody sat down and wrote that um xavier becoming who he becomes making jokes about certain aspects of his physique um, all that stuff was nice. They they kind of play around with uh, Magneto's origin, not origin, but his his like story, and but it plays through to the movie, to the first X Men movie, where he wants to keep the mutants separate and they're superior, and it plays off of his 
time in concentration camps where he apparently learned the wrong lessons. He learned, though. <laughs> he did. He very, very much learned. Um, I was very impressed that that's one of my favorites so far, I think, of the of the year. It was very, very well done. Um, now, Havoc is obviously supposed to be Cyclops' younger brother, but who cares? I mean, really, when it comes down to it, he was another mutant that they could put in there. He couldn't control his power like, like normal, and he learns to focus it. it. It all worked. You know, Magneto learned to float by the end of the movie. That was good. So it all worked. Overall, I think I would probably give it a B plus if I was doing the outside the cinema ratings. So, what would you what would you grade it? Seeing as how I'm just springing this on you right now, okay, we've never done that on before. the Ellen scale of going to see a movie. I would rate it as yeah, go see it in the theater. In the theater, okay, yeah. all right. And uh, Green Lantern lately has been getting bad reviews, but I don't care. I think about we're reviews. still going to go see it because. It should just be visually interesting. So, whatever. I like Sucker Punch. Everybody disagrees with me on that. You haven't seen it yet. So. Nope. And we took the girls to see Kung Fu Panda. They are three years old. And uh, we did not do 3D um, because of two reasons. First, it cost more during a matinee. And the second reason would be um, it, it cost more. <laughs> No, they wouldn't wear the glasses, they, probably. They Not through the them, whole thing. No. Um, and for three years old, they did a remarkable job. Eventually, I had to put Nova on my lap, and I, I explained to her what was going on and stuff. But Ripley sat there pretty good. So She was saying the lines after they were she, said on screen. She's trying to memorize the movie as it goes. They loved Shen, Lord Shen, who was yes. uh, voiced by Gary Oldman. He's the main bad guy. A little dark with, with, with that character there. He mm-hmm. has a... He has a prophecy surrounding him that he will, what was it, meet his end by a warrior of black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, so he basically orders all the pandas in the world, as far as he could, you know, as far as his troops could go, killed. Right. So <laughs> he exterminates an entire race to ensure his survival. Which we all know leads to biting him in the Singling out the one that will destroy you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it that it was a little bit darker. It went... And, you know, the first movie introduced you to everybody. Yep. It set it up for Poe's personal challenge, and then this became more of a a spiritual challenge yeah. for him. Yeah. Yeah, he had to... Well, because he, he could get away with doing stuff and being goofy. He f- defeated Tai Lung by being his goofy self. Right. Here, he couldn't. But Shen's big accomplishment was he took fireworks and turned them into a weapon. Right. He created a cannon. Um. And I remember reading um, in the Art of book that they had to make the blast and the cannonballs uh, seem violent and destructive, but still on that cartoon level that they accomplished. I think they did a pretty good job because they have some color coming out and some smoke, mm-hmm. and they uh, there's some engraving on the cannonballs, um, but they still destroy anything they hit, which was uh, probably no... Easy task. There's a lot of um, a lot more animation or, or or detail in the fur. They all get wet at one point, soaking wet, and Tigress's fur is kind of clumped together like a cat's would be. There's a lot of lot of nice detail put in there. So I, I don't know. I I think that can contend with uh, Cars Two, 
for best animated feature. No, no, I didn't <laughs> see Cars. It's Cars. It's it's the same uh, looking movie as the first one. We can pretty much guess. I haven't seen it yet, so well, I don't know. You didn't like the first one all that much, did you? I did. Wait, which one don't you like? The Ratatouille one. Oh yeah, that's not fun. No, I watched Cars like nine million times. Oh, I can't remember who doesn't. Let's probably you Frank didn't like it. Doesn't. No, I I don't mind it. I just no. Think you that said you really didn't like it when we saw it in the theater. Well, the first one. There's twenty minutes in Radiator Springs that could be cut out. It, didn't bother me. It was just long. But it was good. It was well done. I, I like the fact that they decided to put the eyeballs on the, the windshields instead of the headlights. Because that's way too, you know, everybody makes the headlights the eyes. So, what? What is that face? Or they need to do something else. What are you talking about? You can't just motion at stuff. I'm showing you. Not anybody That's else. That's not helping anyone. Um, so yeah, I think it was pretty good. I think that was that was acceptable as their first movie. So, because what they already saw Kung Fu Panda, the first one now, in the theater. Now that doesn't count. It be, totally does. They no. sat in a chair, they ate popcorn, they watched it. No, because we didn't pay for it. I had to write a book report for that. <laughs> yeah. You had to write two. Mm-hmm. But they kept the lights up. It was a bunch of kids. This was their first with adults, with people that paid, like actually had to behave themselves, kind of. Mm. So. I liked it, but I'd like to see it again without them so I could actually watch it. Yeah, eventually we'll have it and we can do that. So, and then we saw three movies this week. How about that? We did? Then we went and saw Fellowship of the Ring. Ah. Which I was concerned was not going to be as good a quality as a regular feature. I thought maybe it would have been streamed or it would have um, it, it would have been on their smaller digital projector that they use for the pre-show. But it was on a hard drive. It was delivered to the theater uh, like a regular um, digital feature. And it looked amazing. It looked really good. There was a little bit from uh, Peter Jackson in the beginning um, when you were getting pretzels, which were really good. Um, but but buttery, mm. um, where he talked about how they remastered it for the Blu-ray, so this is a rare time that they're showing it in the theater. I think they only ever did the extended cuts once before, but I think it was all in a row, like you had to watch them all one day. Um, I think Fellowship is my, if I if I had to rank them, I think it's my least favorite. It's, all, it's, all, it's all set up. All the good stuff doesn't, I, my favorite, I like the, I like the third one. Because that's where the best creatures and armor and fights and characters are. Mm. Like the mouth of Sauron. Where I get to, in the third one, we'll get to see him in the theater, in context. That'll be really nice. I like his character. And I like, I like how he ended. But it was nice. It was, it, was, it was long. I started to feel it towards the end. Because it was just under four hours. But <laughs> that was great. What were you, what were you thinking while you were watching it? Um, I really like seeing it big again because there were some parts that I forgot about mm. that when you're watching it regular on TV, you kind of just don't pay attention to. But having them so big was nice because it kind of popped out and it was like, yeah. oh yeah, oh that's right. And well, we really... I got to actually really look at the details stuff yeah. i i knew what was going on but i wanted to look and see so. right and we really only ever watch it on uh tnt and it's not the extended ones i i don't think i would watch any other version but the extended ones at this point would you i wouldn't 
It wouldn't bother me. Like if you if you were gonna pick between one disc or the other, since we have both, I think on DVD, would you go with the extended ones if you were gonna throw it in? Whichever one I could find. Oh yeah, okay. Would be what I put in. So I'm yeah. really not that picky. Oh okay, because I would watch the extended Blu-rays before anything else. Oh. Um, so which we don't have yet because they have not come in the mail yet. So. Um. Lucasfilm put up an extended trailer for season four of Clone Wars. Not that we're plugging another show or anything here. But there's a lot more with um, who we're all assuming is Admiral Ackbar. They show some weird looking stick aliens that look like they're out of Titan AE, which could be the ones that have those sleek ships that we don't don't recognize. Um, But it looks like this next season is going to get back down to... um, combat lightsaber combat and clones fighting and stuff like that a lot more of them are in the phase two armor so that's good it's a lot closer to uh sith uh i'd play it but it's really it's just all music hitting hitting cues like that so tuesday we're gonna go see uh two towers we're gonna show up a little earlier not that we had bad seats but i prefer to be able to pick a little better than what we had left what would you say? The theater was about three quarters of the way sold? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a bad crowd. No. Everybody was pretty respectful. Even the guys that the, that looked like, you know, jocks that came in and like six of them sat behind us and three of them were next to you. Um, and they were talking through like the opening where Galadriel, that's who it is, right? Mm-hmm. Galadriel's talking. Um, I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, really? You're going to come to a special show like this and you're going to fucking talk the whole time? And then they shut up. Once yeah. a picture came up, they shut up. But I, I I was really curious to see how the sound was and, and, and that gave me a real hint when um when Sauron gets his fingers cut off and the ring falls off and he explodes and knocks everybody down. Um that there's a really low bass note that just kind of drops as the the ring comes out of him, the the expanding shockwave. And it hit a nice low where it rumbled the whole theater. So that was that was good. That's and Lately, that theater's been pretty good with their presentation. There was a run there from like last spring to uh, fall where it was just terrible. So, uh, I think we should do a break. How about that? Okay. All right. Well, I have uh, the exact same breaks from last week in case anybody actually listens to them because it's been a busy week. So, here we go. We'll be right back.
podcast, perhaps you'd be interested in GleeCast. You watch your tone, young lady. Hey, we're not forcing you to download the internet's best, or at least most booze-filled podcast about Glee. You want to be me. Who doesn't, Sue? But we know we can't be. Instead, Erica and Emily. Uh, Emily and Erica. Who am I? I just don't know anymore. I'd love to stay in chat, but I got a satellite interview. Sorry, we get off topic a lot. The point is, listen to GleeCast following every new episode of Glee. Plus, our sporadic bonus content on some of the greatest bad cinema that incorporates musical theater or sweet dance moves. I'm going to ask you to smell your armpits. The right or the left? That's the smell of failure. Failure smells like dove. Mine has a pleasant lady speed stick scent. Kind of makes me think of candy canes. Your resentment is delicious. Visit gleecast.podomatic.com or search for us in the iTunes store. That's gleecast with a K, part of the palaver.com family. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Boy, the only thing missing from this place is a couple dozen bodies limed and rotting in shallow graves under the floorboards. We're working on that. Hi, Andy's grandma. We're here to record a new episode of Night of the Living Podcast. Is Andy home? Oh, me so sorry. He no home right now. You follow me. Oh, Andy's room smells kind of weird. Yeah, really strange. He left his computer on over here, too. Hey, guys, why do you think Andy might have this mask of human skin? That's weird. Maybe you guys know why there's this machete in the corner. This computer's just knife enthusiast websites in American apparel. Oh, wait, there's another website here. Palaver.com. Palaver. Okay, Palaver. Whatever, I think. Palaver. Yeah, he's definitely got the serial killer board up right under uh, Night of the Living podcast discussions. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Maybe we should get the hell out of here. Maybe we should go. Yeah, I think we should. Hey, guys. You ready to record? (laughs) If you're a fan of horror films, you should check out Night of the Living podcast at notop.com. Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we have to sacrifice a few hours a week to podcast about whatever you find important. But we think you're crazy asking us to write an essay telling you who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms and the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each of us is a podcast about other podcasts. A podcast about television. A podcast about films. A podcast about music. A podcast about books. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Podcast Podcast. The Podcast Podcast is your one-stop source for all the podcasts on the internet. Each week we have very special guests from some of the best shows on iTunes so that you can decide if you should check them out or keep on moving. Find us at thepodcastpodcast.com or search for us in the iTunes store by looking for me, Fozzie Bear. That's F-O-Z-Z-I-E-B-A-R-E.
Well, I had to drop that. Um, what's it called there? Break in because I didn't mute us. So we're okay. talking the whole time through the thing. So I will have to cut that out and put it back in. I hope I remember to do that. So, um, yeah. Want to get to the stupid things people do? Okay. All right. Let's play this first one here. It's titled, Saggy Pants Lead to Passenger's Arrest. I hope there's not an ad in the beginning of it. French fries and America's passion. Yep, that's an ad. So, um, this was sent in by Randy. So, we're going to just talk until the ad's done playing because I've muted that channel. I can remember to do that. Research his name, research his record, research, research. He's a good, good person? He didn't answer the question. Information age, everything is out there. He's a good kid. He's 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 respectful. This is this is not Deshaun. That's why I'm I'm so confused. I don't know what's going on. But I'm here to support him in any way that I can. And then sagging pants, I just don't feel like this was a proper cause for him getting arrested. Like he didn't have no drugs on him, no weapons or nothing, so I just feel it was real foolish. They just, he was black and he's young, he got dreads, and it's just a stereotype. They just want to see, they just wanted to make a scene, I think. All right. You want to you hear the story? All right. Okay. I'm going to turn the headphones back up a little bit there. It says, a passenger's refusal to pull up his saggy pants led to his arrest Wednesday aboard a U.S. Airways flight at San Francisco International Airport, according to police. The passenger, Deshaun Marmon, was arrested and held for trespassing, battery, and interfering with the duties of a police officer following an incident that started at the gate when agents asked Marmon to pull his pants up to cover his underwear, said San Francisco Police Sergeant Michael Rodriguez. Marmon, 20, a football player at the University of New Mexico, was in San Francisco to attend the funeral of a close friend, the San Francisco Chronicle reported. Before and during boarding for U.S. Airways Flight 488 to Phoenix, three U.S. Airways employees asked Marmon to pull up his pants, Rodriguez said. In response to the second request, quote, he said he didn't have to because he had purchased a ticket, Rodriguez said. U.S. Airways spokeswoman Valerie Wonder said the airline does not have a specific dress code, but we ask our passengers to dress in an appropriate manner to ensure the safety and comfort of all our passengers. After repeated refusals from Marmon to pull up his pants, the crew alerted the airliner's captain to the disruption, and police were called in to assist, Rodriguez said. Wonder referred questions about details of the incident to police, but said it is her understanding that the incident began with Marmon's attire but escalated when, quote, he repeatedly ignored crew members' instructions. The captain made a citizen's arrest of Marmon for trespassing when he refused to leave the plane, according to Rodriguez. The captain decided to deplane the other passengers when Marmon would not immediately leave the aircraft, Rodriguez said. After leaving the plane, Marmon resisted being handcuffed in the jetway, injuring a police officer in the scuffle. Marmon's mother, Donna Doyle, told the San Francisco Chronicle that her son was distressed after attending the funeral for his friend and former teammate. San Mateo County officials said Marmon will be arraigned on Friday. 
So if you're distressed, that gives you the right to be a belligerent douche? Well, if a woman went on board and her top was all the way down exposing her bra, yeah. they would ask her to cover herself up too because she would be a distraction. Yeah, or if her thong was hanging out. Right. So why couldn't he just pull up his pants for Christ's sake? Because no one wants to see your undies. Well, not to mention too that a lot of people associate that kind of dress with gang members. Right. But it's also, no one wants to see your underwear. No, and you can't really walk like that. I've seen people. I drive, not to stereotype, but I drive into Bill's house. I go through some shady parts of Lynn, and I watch people walk, and they need one hand to hold their pants up to be stylish. You'll look like an idiot. It's. I'm not saying pull them up to your nipples. No, just pull them up. Cover your underwear. There's reasons why it's called underwear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And... Yeah, why does that give him any right to do whatever the hell he wants just because he has to go to a funeral? Oh, he's coming back from it. So? Pull your pants up. <laughs> Here's one that I found interesting. I found this uh, a, uh, actually a few weeks ago in May. Um, what? <laughs> it's titled, Massachusetts Bill Would why Require... Why is a picture of a bat? What are you talking about? It's a big picture of a bat there. Why is that, that there? Is, that's a picture of Paul Revere on a horse. What? Where are your glasses? It's a tree, the Capitol building, and then whatever. Wow. It looks like a bat from over here. Wow. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Terrible. <laughs> looks like a bat to me. That's fine. It's not. Mass- the old fruit bat. Mass- you're the fruit bat. Massachusetts bill would require divorcing parents to obtain judges' approval for sex. Why? Because we have to regulate every part of everyone's life. The Massachusetts legislature is conducting hearings Wednesday, so they've already passed. I should probably look and see what happened to this bill, but that's not the point. Uh, on a bill that would bar divorcing couples with children from carrying on a sexual relationship while in their own home. The bill would prevent parents from, quote, conducting a dating or sexual relationship within the home, said, until the divorce is final. Although seemingly written to spare children the pain of seeing their parents becoming involved with other people, the bill's language is so broad it can easily be interpreted as forbidding sex entirely. Parents that wish to have sex would need to get a judge's approval. State Senator Richard Ross sponsored the bill on behalf of his constituent. Rentham Selectman Robert LeClaire. You know, I'm curious. So what do you what do you think? Shouldn't they get permission to have sex before they get married so that they <laughs> wouldn't have this problem with the divorcing part? Yeah, huh. What uh what 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 party do you think Richard Ross? A Republican. You think? Let's let's check. I'll be surprised. That's stupid. <laughs> it it's like really don't you is. think if they were having sex then then they might make up and not get a divorce then? No, they mean not not the, the two divorcing people, but the people in the divorce. Oh, so like with if, other people? Or themselves, with, with each other, I would imagine, too, would work. Who but, the hell cares what they're doing? It's well, like, as it's, long as they're not doing it in front of the kids. Then. Won't anyone think of the children, I think, mm. is where it's coming from. Uh, Ross's name here is linked to a whole lot of articles about Scott Brown. So, Do you know that it's it's more common for... Kids to say that their parents are divorced and remarried and they've got 900 other relatives now than than for a kid to actually say, yeah, my parents are still married. They're the odd ones out now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It goes on to say, it's not intended to abridge the rights of anybody, LeClaire told the Boston Herald. He's the... Is he he in a divorce? 
Oh, that's a. And his wife having sex with somebody else. That's why he wants this bill to pass. Well, let's see. Let me let me do a quick search here. Search boop, and let's see what we got. Um, bill would ban parents. Don't change the budget. Arrested for <laughs> soliciting a hooker. <laughs> Probably. Um. No, there's he doesn't have like a, a Wikipedia page well, or anything. This is dumb. It is dumb. Don't they have something better to do? No, they really, they really don't. Um, Leclerc, See, who is it a, makes as much sense that it would be a fruit bat for a photo there. <laughs> yeah. Leclerc, um, oh, hold on, hold on. It's not intended to abridge the rights of anybody, Leclerc told the Boston Herald. If they want to have an extramarital affair, just get away from the home. So, but yeah, the thing is... it bring it home with you. It doesn't say in, in, the, in the title. Oh, it does say within their own home. Um, Leclerc, who is a former president of Fathers United for Equal Justice, oh, has reportedly gone through a bitter divorce. Ah, told you. Mm-hmm. See, you just have to let Called me it. just have to let me finish reading it. You're just like Frank that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Clearly, this bill is going nowhere. Noted. You said I had to talk more, so I yeah, called it. Good. Noted just enrichments, Amanda Rice. And even if it were, I don't think it would make one lick of difference. Divorcing parents carry on sexual relationships in their homes, probably already attempt to do so discreetly it's one guy that got pissed that his wife fucked somebody else told you yeah yep so um that's an awful font which one the think progress you can't tell that's a k no it looks like an h Mm -hmm. okay so uh the bruins won the stanley cup yay but we're not going to talk about that oh we're going to talk about all the idiots in canada eh it's just very unsportsmanlike. Well, first of all, they they booed Tim Thomas when he got his MVP award. You know, which is just kind of dickish. But I can understand that. You want that. people to to visit your country and, and put money back into your economy? Then well, shut the hell don't, up! Don't drive a car there. Why? The, the picture. It's not a bat this time. It's a bunch of morons tipping a car over, all wearing Canucks jerseys. You so. Know, yeah. It becomes a derogatory term for reasons that become obvious. <laughs> so this was from June 16th. So this is this is the most recent update I could find about this because I didn't look for anything today. Uh, Vancouver rioters hunted on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. There's little anonymity left in rioting these days. Thanks to camera phones and tagging, police will be able to identify some of the Vancouver hooligans who set fires smashed storefronts and overturned cars in Stanley Cup-related rioting. There are already loads of photos on the Facebook group, which I joined the other day just to see the pictures. There's a picture of this skinny little Asian dude with a hockey stick in front of busted-up windows screaming. Why? He apparently wants to be arrested. You know, (laughs) deal with it. It's a hockey game. See, hold on. Let me get through a little bit more of this, and and then I'll give you my, my theory about it. Um, there's no such thing as a theory about it. They're all just bunch. No, no, no. Hold on. Get a little closer to the microphone. You got to talk into it. You're being idiots. <laughs> okay, good. There, go. there are also pictures all over Twitter where the mayor and police have issued tweets asking people to preserve their videos and pictures of the rioting. Uploading images is one thing, but authorities also need people to snitch out their associates and tag the photos. And it looks like that's already happening, and that's a link that I'm not going to click on. Inevitably, some innocents have already been incorrectly dragged into the social media manhunt. Hopefully, the Vancouver Police Department is able to bring charges against a large number of wrongdoers. The deterrent 
value of social media shame over drunkards is admittedly limited, but if people know they could get sent to jail thanks to anyone with an iPhone, the contagious allure of rioting could at least be reduced. Now, apparently, from what I've seen and what I've heard, here in Boston, seven people were arrested for drunken disorderly and a couple other minor things. Right. Seven people in a big metropolitan like area were arrested in one night. Right. That's normal. That's isn't like it? in every Friday night. I think that just happened like in the last two hours in downtown Peabody. Right. Um no one was injured as far as I could find. Uh that's an we, anomaly. There you go. Well, in the you know, in the celeb celeb celebration stuff. Okay. Um a hundred and fifty people reported injuries in Vancouver and over a hundred people were arrested that day. Mm-hmm. And there's probably millions in property damage. Here's my question. Yeah. Wouldn't you think being the country that the game went to, uh-huh. wouldn't you kind of stop and say, hmm, we're going to play against Boston. Uh-huh. What if we lose? Maybe we should put more policemen out on the force tonight. Well, apparently they pulled them back because they were afraid they were going to get hurt. That's just what I heard. Because They're- they, back in 1994, I think they were playing the Islanders and they lost. And mm-hmm. they burned the fucking city then too. Don't you think maybe they shouldn't be allowed to host hockey games at that point? Well, no. How about you just disperse them from being outside? Now, you know, just... I know, I know from reading through Facebook and people's updates and stuff that there's a lot of unrest in, in Canada. There's a lot of people that are unhappy with the government and the way they're conducting things. Well, don't and, take it out on the Bruins. But the police departments have been cut and stuff like that. They're not taking it out on the Bruins. They're taking it out on themselves. Mm. I think that a part of this was started by people that just wanted to do it. It would have happened, I think, whether they won or lost. Well, that's a shame. It is. It gives all Canadians on that part of the country there. It gives all of them a bad name. Right. But, you know, we're we're smart enough to realize that it's not all of them. It's just that dumb Asian kid wearing the Canucks jersey. Well, it's... And the, there was, a, there was a, a fat guy standing in front of a register, like, counting stuff. But you know what? <laughs> on, honestly, doing that, if you're that upset with your government and doing something like that, don't you think that you could do something more constructive? No, to really I don't think they're. I don't think they're smart but enough. But no, just to do going anything. and burning cars and breaking stuff—that's really gonna. It was within that's, minutes. That's gonna cars stick were on it fire. to the man. You oh know? yeah! Oh it's yeah! Like, come yeah, on, by be busting smart. up somebody else's car. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Stupid. Let's see. Those three are all related to the same person. I know what that is. What? That's a squid. Yeah, that, that is a squid. Um, I have a video here called Becoming Christian Changes Your DNA. Oh, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And this is on PZ Meyer's blog. And it, it, it <laughs> he's titled it, Do They Even Realize This Is Testable? Uh, and he writes, uh, not much here, but he writes, the things that go on during Christian revivals. Here's a crazy preacher claiming that conversion changes your DNA. Right. How does this even work? I have not listened to this yet. I thought it was too good to not get a genuine reaction when I watched it. Okay. Ready? What do you mean when you watched it? Now, when I watched she it She was now. an older lady that had committed the crimes years ago before there was DNA evidence. 
So they wanted to go back like and do Jesus the DNA test. <laughs> so they go and they do the DNA test and they're able to convict her of a crime that they match her DNA to. They do this on one case. Six months later, they get ready to do it on another case. Prior to the next case, she goes through a genuine born-again experience, receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and not only did her DNA not match the crime scene, her DNA didn't match her DNA. Bullshit. Six months earlier, they had checked her DNA. Yeah, because she cut off somebody's finger Six and Six months that. later, they check her DNA, <laughs> and her DNA is not the same DNA. Because if any man be evil in Christ, twin sister. he is a new creature. Oh, and behold, all things have become new. I'm not talking about joining the church. I'm talking about becoming a Christian. Wow. That looked like Rob Zombie giving an idiot speech. No. No, well, he did. He had long hair and tattoos and a goatee. He did and not stuff. look like Rob Zombie. Speaking of which, Rob Zombie has done a detergent ad. Good for him. It's for like Downey or something. It says, don't let detergent torture your clothes. And it's in his style. Good. I'll show it to you later. It's all it's all audio. Like like the audio wouldn't help anybody, so I'm not going to play it here. Okay. But it's pretty funny. All right, that's just dumb. Yeah. yeah wh- the idiots are clapping like, yeah, change my DNA so I can become a murderer too. <laughs> no, you have to be a murderer first, right? Stupid idiots. Hey, finally a breeze. <laughs> that was nice. Okay, next. We're just going to blast through these. Huh? This is going to be a short show. Um, the words Facebook and Twitter have been banned from French TV. Why? What do they mean? <laughs> they, they mean Facebook and Twitter. That's oh, kind seriously? Of... Here's an interesting little bit of news for you. We've learned that regulators in France have banned the words Facebook and Twitter from use on TV and radio. Some people might say that the French have acquired an unfair reputation for being obsessed with frustratingly pedantic rules and regulations. But this latest ruling would suggest that reputations are sometimes earned. French broadcasting regulators have issued the following ruling. TV and radio show hosts must refrain from uttering Facebook or Twitter unless it's in direct direct relation to a specific news story on the subject. For example, a French TV presenter is barred from saying something like, follow us on Twitter for more updates on this story. No reference must ever be made to connecting to Facebook or Twitter to discover further information on a news story. What? That's a headlight of a car shining through the porch. Okay, I thought so somebody had a flashlight. Uh, see, in our neighborhood, we look out for other people. <laughs> but no, that's a car with uh, probably LED headlights or, oh, or some okay. kind of bright red headlight. So back to the show. Okay, sorry. No, I thought no, someone was breaking into our neighbor's house. Well, no, they, there's no way they'd be able to hold a flashlight that still. It's just a weird angle to see if they're... Anyway, getting back to this, right? Sorry. No, that's fine. <laughs> Better to be safe. Uh, so, for example, let's see, we did that. And why would French regulators wish to impose such a ban? Well, it seems that mentioning Facebook or Twitter is deemed to be promoting commercial enterprises according to French broadcast regulator CSA. Okay. CSA spokesperson Christine Kelly said that the clandestine advertising aside, any reference to Facebook or Twitter shows preference for those two social networks to the exclusion of others. That makes sense. Why give preference to Facebook, which is worth billions of dollars, when there are many other social networks that are struggling for recognition? I think the problem is they're struggling for recognition. Well, yeah. 
This would be a distortion of competition if we allow Facebook and Twitter to be cited on air. It's opening a Pandora's box. Other social networks will complain. Pandorica? um, If only. Um, I think we need to, after the break, go into that a little bit. Okay. Um, Because I never get to talk about Doctor Who. Well, you can anytime you want. Not on the show. Yes, you can. Why not? Because it's like... Talk about other stuff. It's like talking to a brick wall sometimes because he doesn't watch it. Okay, that sounds good. That doesn't help. All right, that sounds good. Shut up. Other social networks will complain to us saying, why not us? This is a strange one indeed. Back to the regular article. That was a quote. Uh, This is a strange one indeed. It's unlikely that anyone will take to the streets in protest over this move, but to completely ignore two of the most popular social networking platforms on the planet. It won't happen. Seems unnecessary at best and a little draconian at worst. Yeah, if you're going to promote yourself, you have to embrace the newest of the new and the biggest of the big, don't you? Well, yes. Because a long time ago, it was MySpace. Mm-hmm. Now it's Facebook. It'll and be something else in five well, years. It'll be you something know, else. Twitter. And then something else after that will yeah, be coming. It, it'll change. But they have a good point. Why, well, why they, should they? I don't know if it's a good point, but they have a point. Unless they get sponsorship from... Twitter and Facebook. I don't know, but uh, like everything. But I mean, that's what we use all the time. We promote Twitter and Facebook. Our company does too. Because it promotes the company. Exactly. You don't have to pay to use it. No, yet. You no. If if you had to pay to use, and there have been there have been rumors of uh, a subscription service to Facebook, I don't think people would pay it. I, I certainly know. wouldn't. I'd be done with it. I bet people would. I don't think I would use Twitter as well either. They I, pay I for use dating it. services when they don't just go out and meet people <laughs> yeah, so well that's a good point um let's see we'll do this one and then we'll come back and we'll do these three stories about the craziest person that's going to run for president okay. How about that in my opinion uh this is uh the freedom from religion uh contests unconstitutional plan in south bend and this stuff always baffles me that people try to do this kind of thing a proposal for the city of South Bend, Indiana, to buy a commercial property and donate it to a Catholic school violates the U.S. and state constitutions, says a complaint to the city from the Freedom From Religion Foundation. In a June 14th letter to Common Council President Derek Dieter, FFRF, objected on behalf of its members in South Bend and, and Indiana to a plan put forth by Mayor Stephen Lukek, we'll say, <laughs> the proposal calls for the city to spend $1.2 million to buy and demolish a family dollar store and then turn the property over to St. Joseph's Catholic High School, which would use the land for a new athletics facility, including a football stadium. On a 5-3 to three vote on June 13th, the council refused to kill the plan and will take it up again, possibly in the June 27th meeting. In FFRF's letter, Staff Attorney Patrick Elliott noted that the city, quote, cannot legally subsidize the creation of a religious school campus. The U.S. Constitution's Establishment Clause prohibits, quote, enacting laws that do not have a secular legislative purpose or that have the primary effect of advancing religion, Elliot said, citing Lemon v. Kurtzman and other federal cases. The proposal also violates the Indiana Constitution, noted Elliot, due to these sections. No preference shall be given by law to any creed, religious society, or mode of worship and no person shall be compelled to attend, erect, or support any place of worship or to maintain any ministry against his consent 
And then the other one is, no money shall be drawn from the treasury for the benefit of any religious or theological institution. So I have a question. Yeah. So if this dollar store just sold its property and stopped renting from there, and the Catholic school bought the property... If the Catholic school bought bought it, that would be fine. They're a Catholic school. They must have money up the yin-yang. Why can't they just buy the property? I don't know that the city's going to buy it and donate it. I don't I don't know. That's that's the problem right there is the city's going to buy it. Well, then, um, Mayor Luque, Luque's scheme to assist in the building of the school is an affront to these provisions of the Indiana Bill of Rights, Elliot wrote. Apparently, the plan calls for spending income tax revenue from the Economic Development Income Tax Fund to acquire property that the city will then give to a religious school. Thus, these taxpayer funds would be used to directly benefit a religious institution. St. Joseph's principal, Susan Richter, recently sent an email to parents and alumni of the school asking them to lobby the council. Her message said, Part of the current budget proposal includes $1.2 million to acquire the family dollar store along LaSalle Street and gifting it to St. Joseph's High School. We have been working with the mayor's office for several months on this aspect of our new school project. If Mayor Luque's budget is rejected, essentially it will add an additional $1.2 million to our campaign plus what constructions co- construction costs, actually she pluralized construction and costs, uh, are added to the project due to the delay in acquiring that piece of land. Um, it says emphasis added because they bolded a couple parts there. In a separate letter to Luque... Uh, FFRF filed an open records request for correspondence related to the proposed property acquisition and transfer. Some residents, including S.J. Zabo, have spoken out strongly against the plan. Zabo was quoted in the South Bend Tribune. It's a very generous donation to the Catholic Church that will pull even more students from South Bend schools. Whatever happened to separation of church and state? We are going to generously donate to a Jewish school, too, so they can draw away more of our students. The proposal is clearly unconstitutional, Elliot said. The Common Council must reject the mayor's plan to subsidize the construction of the St. Joseph High School campus. Why don't they put a public school there? What do you mean? Give them a fighting chance. Give the community a chance to go to either one. Well, probably because... um, one, they, well, first, I, I would imagine they can use the $1.2 million as a tax write-off it, somehow. Where do the mayor's children go to school? Yeah, that's a good question. But I don't understand. Like, like They need to get rid of the mayor. Where, well, yeah. Where they're doing this, um, where, where the uh, Creation Museum is, that Frank and I are still planning to go to at some point and get kicked out of because it'll be hilarious. Uh, they're building the, uh, the Noah's Ark Experience. And the you didn't know about that? What are they going to do, drown you if you can't make it on the boat? <laughs> no, they're going to build a gigantic replica of the Ark, and it's subsidized by taxpayer money. And it's going to be smelly. Oh, God, it better be, huh? Why is it subsidized? Why? Why is it subsidized? That's a very good question. It shouldn't be, because first, it's a religious theme park. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Creation Museum needs to have the word museum wiped out of existence anywhere near that place. What's the definition of a museum? That's that's a good question. Why don't I look that up? Because I don't think I've done that. Oh, well, Museum of Science. Okay. Let's see. A museum 
is an institution that houses and cares for a collection of artifacts and other objects of scientific, artistic, or historical importance and makes them available for public viewing through exhibits that may be permanent or temporary. Most large museums are located in major cities throughout the world, and more local ones exist in smaller cities, towns, blah, 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 blah. So they could be seen because there's no way in hell it's historical well, they don't, or scientific. Uh, they could consider it artistic to have exhibits. So they could be a museum. True, but if they have a fossil, a fossil, they have a historical artifact. Right? No, or scientific. They, they just have a, a big round thing of hard poop. <laughs> well, they could have some bones. It's probably bunny poop. It's solidified. Yeah. Oh, that was pretty funny. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why people try to do that. I mean, are they trying to get in good graces there with, with somebody or what? What? By? By gifting money to a church. Because they're going to benefit from it. You know My what? guess is in, part of the wing would be named after them. You know what? It's a Catholic school. It's a Catholic school. It's for when the money. When they go to church, just charge them more money. That's it. Just charge more money. It it just benefits the mayor, it sounds like. Yeah. Well, of course it will. So uh, you want to talk about the craziest of crazy people running for office? Okay. All right. I don't know any of them. Well, it's not Sarah Palin, so... I'm just going to refresh this page. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Let me refresh this and uh, we'll see what happens. Let's bring in one of the big winners last night, Michelle Bachman. She cho- took the moment to announce that she was officially in the race uh, last night. Joined us now from New Hampshire. And, and, and uh, Congresswoman, I'm reading the reviews uh, this morning. Bachman's a winner. She's done herself the most good. A steal-the-show performance. You must be feeling pretty good this morning. Well, I'm extremely grateful last night for the debate, and it was just a thrill to be able to be there. And it was wonderful, I think, to be able to announce last night that we had filed our paperwork for seeking the office of the presidency of the United States. It was just terrific, the the welcome that we had from the people of New Hampshire. So I was grateful to be a part of that wonderful, historic evening. We were just talking about it. All the candidates on the stage last night took, uh, uh, took aim at President uh, Obama and all of you would repeal President Obama's health care bill. But but I want to ask you about uh, Governor Mitt Romney, what he did in, in Massachusetts. He said there are big differences between what President Obama did nationally and what he did in Massachusetts. Do you accept that explanation or do you think the Massachusetts plan is more like what Governor Pawlenty first called it, Obamacare? Well, I think it is very clear what I said last evening, that as President of the United States, it would be one of my top priorities, the full-scale repeal of Obamacare. I've been involved in this fight from the beginning, George, when President Obama was trying to put this forth, because as the Congressional Budget Office said, this is a job killer. It's going to kill 800,000 jobs. That's not and true. even more unfortunate, President Obama is taking away from senior citizens $500 billion out of Medicare and shifting it to younger people in Obamacare. This is a very serious issue. Governor Romney made that point uh, as well last night. What I'm asking you is, do you think what he did in Massachusetts is the model for what President Obama did for the country? Well, what I'm focusing on is the model that President Obama gave to the American people. And one thing I know, George, in 2014... Hold on. Here's what she's saying. Well, if Mick gets the nomination then I want to be his running mate so I am not going to trash him. That's all she's saying, isn't it? Yeah. 
And she's also saying that she's a racist. Why is she saying she's a racist? Because she just is. <laughs> just because? Yep. Okay. Uh, let's get back to the dummy. No matter what any state decides to do with their health care, Obamacare will trump all 50 states. And so it doesn't federal. matter if states right now are trying to mitigate against the ill effects of Obamacare. Obamacare will trump what all Ill state effects? law. So from That's no- why it's very important. So the states actually effectively lose whatever they tried to put into place because Obamacare will steamroll over all the state so, laws. So, so no big differences between you and Governor Romney on health care? Well, I know what I will do. I will, I will repeal Obamacare because it won't matter Don't what answer. happened in Just any of the states. I know what I will do. I will not answer the question. over that yeah. state law. That's the reality. That. Let, let me ask you a question about another issue that came up last night, gay marriage. At first, you suggested that you don't think that state laws that legalize gay marriage should be, should be overturned. And there, there are states, both Iowa and New Hampshire, have legalized. No, George. George. No, George, the question that I was asked was, if I was president of the United States, would I come into the states that have passed that legislation and, and advocate either for or against a state law? And as president of the United States, that would not but, be my role but you later, to advocate but, but, for but, or against a right, state law. Right, but you, la- you later said that you were for a constitutional amendment. A constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage would have the effect of overturning state law. Bazinga. Well, in my home state, I was the chief author of a constitutional amendment to define marriage as between a man and a woman. That's consistently been my position, and I do support (laughs) that position. In my home state, I basically declared myself a bigot in writing publicly. Back, back to the hypocrisy. Hold on. At a federal level. But what, I, what, what the questioner asked me is if, as President of the United States, I would come into a state and advocate either for or against a state law, and I said that I would not do that. I believe in the Tenth Amendment, and I believe in federalism. Oh, but, but you believe amendment. in a constitutional amendment which would overturn the state law? I believe in a constitutional amendment, but also one thing I do know on the DOMA law, that's the Defense of Marriage Act, President Obama has said as, as the president of the United States who swore that he would faithfully execute the laws of the United States, he said he would pick and choose and not select, not enforce laws that are on the books. That's why we're seeing a movement toward a federal marriage amendment because President Obama won't even stand up for a law that President Clinton signed and passed into law. And that's uh, the Defense of Marriage Act, which would preserve marriage between one man and one woman. Congratulations on getting in the race. Thanks for coming in this morning. Don't you think that all the politicians should make no money? They should should take away all her money. And then let's see what her, her... her position is on Medicare and how it's really working. Well, a because lot you of, know what? My mom hasn't complained about Medicare or <laughs> Social Security since Obama's been in office. Yeah. She complained a lot. Really? Bush. Really? Yeah, her and Sis used to complain all the time about well, that. Well, Sis was in assisted living, mm-hmm. basically. She but, depended a lot on that. But they, they, but she said now it's not as bad. Prescriptions are bad because of the cost. Well, because that's something that the Republicans had set but up. But otherwise, copays and stuff like that don't bother her as much anymore. Yeah. And yeah. also, well, re- redoing the definition of marriage, it's like, yeah, 
you have a divorce rate that's so high between just a man and a woman. We'll let people just be happy and maybe we won't have a high divorce rate where you have to make a bill for people having sex outside the divorce. It's like... <laughs> I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand. The, the the Republicans, especially the Tea Party, which is where crazy-ass Bachman comes from... Don't they have something better to do? No, they don't. This like, is this is one of their Let's find where all the poor people things. are and make sure they have food and shelter and oh, clothing and take care of that. Fuck them. You know, can't they... Do that? No, because they don't get anything out of that. That's, that's why. That's, that's why they why... shouldn't get money. Money. If they run for office, they shouldn't get a damn cent. Well, yeah. <laughs> it should be. Nope. You don't get any salary. You Frank, go in Congress. Frank you don't and get I a talked damn about thing. this, and I said that they should make about because a dollar. It, no, because it is a stressful job. I'd say seventy-five thousand a year. You know, they're away from their families. Twenty-five. No, that's not livable. It. It is for the rest of America. It, it, but see, it also has to be enough to entice the person to want to take what? on the job for two or three years. And then what about people that go for lower salaries that are teachers and they have more that's combat the, 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 than them? So you also monitor their bank accounts and they're not allowed. You monitor everyone's bank account that's that's related to them. So they can't take lobby money. They can't take donations, kickbacks, anything like that. You give them public housing. You basically put them in dormitories. They're not. They're not public servants. They're all for no. themselves and what they get out they're of it. Self they're self-servants. Yeah, they're not helping anybody. Everybody. And by them being righteous is. and up on their soapboxes and saying, "Well, this is what it should be," it's like fucking get down and yeah. do some real work and see how real people have to do it day to day. Yeah, uh, she. Th- oh. Oh, wait, I have another story here, too, that I didn't call up that was sent through Facebook. I found it on somebody's Facebook page. Um, I got to read you this about Bachman. Uh, it's called Bachman's Unrivaled Extremism. Okay? And I, I am so glad she's running because she is the perfect person for this show to talk about because she's batshit crazy. Uh, Representative Michelle Bachman... And this was uh, from June 14th. Uh, Bachman's impressive performance at Monday's debate has catapulted her near the front of the GOP pack. But the radical roots of her ideology remain poorly understood. The Daily Beast's Michelle Goldberg reports. In April 2005, Pamela Arnold wanted to talk to her state senator, Michelle Bachman, who was then running for Congress. A 46-year-old who worked at the Minnesota College of Art and Design, Arnold lived with her partner, the famed Arctic explorer Anne Bancroft, on a farm in Scandia, Minnesota. Bachman was then leading the fight against gay marriage in the state. She'd recently been in the news for hiding in the bushes to observe a gay rights rally at the Capitol. Seriously. Wait, wait, wait. She was at a gay rally hiding in the bushes. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think that was lost on anyone, I hope. (laughs) Um, So when members of the Scandia gay community decided to attend one of Bachman's constituent forums, Arnold, waiting to make herself visible for the representative, joined them. Oh, sorry, wanting to make herself visible to the representative, joined them. A few dozen people showed up at the town hall uh, for the April 9th event, and Bachman greeted them warmly. But when... During the question and answer session, the topic turned to gay marriage. Bachman ended the meeting 20 minutes early and rushed to the bathroom. Hoping to speak to her, Arnold and another middle-aged woman, a former nun, followed her. 
As Bachman washed her hands and Arnold looked on, the ex-nun tried to talk to her about theology. Suddenly, after less than a minute, Bachman let out a shriek. Help! She screamed, help! I'm being held against my will! Seriously. Arnold, the, the, um, the, the person, not Bachman, right, who was just over five feet tall, was stunned and hurried to open the door. Bachman bolted out and fled, crying to an SUV outside. Then she called the police, saying, according to the police report, that she was, quote, absolutely terrified and has never been that terrorized before as she had no idea what those two women were going to do to her. Crazy lesbians and their questions. <laughs> the Washington County attorney, however, declined to press charges, writing in a memo. It seems clear from the statements given by both women that they simply wanted to discuss certain issues further with Ms. Bachman. Lots of politicians talk about the a sinister homosexual agenda. Bachman, who has made opposition to gay rights a cornerstone of her career, seems genuinely to believe in one. Her conviction trumps even her once closer relationship with her lesbian stepsister. What an amazing imagination, marvels Arnold. Her ideology is so powerful that she can construct a reality just on a moment's notice. Maybe she should have ran out of the bathroom yelling, they're going to swirly me. <laughs> yeah. Huh? Uh, belief is the key to understanding Michelle Bachman, who announced her presidential candidacy during Monday's Republican debate. Her impressive performance, which catapulted her close to the front of the presidential pack, surprised some who perhaps expected her to be as inarticulate as Sarah Palin. Funny, I stumbled on that word. To whom she's often compared. But in Minnesota, even those who don't like her politics say she shouldn't be underestimated. The fact that she's not a heavy lifter, the fact that she's relatively unconcerned about the substance of legislation, does not mean that she's not crafty, and she's not intelligent, and she's not fast, says former Minnesota Governor Bitches be crazy. Carlson, a Republican, yeah. Bitches indeed be crazy. Her ideological radicalism should not be mistaken for stupidity. No, it's just stupid. Doesn't mean she is. On Monday, Bachman didn't talk a lot about her religion. She didn't have to. She knows how to signal it in ways that go right over secular heads. I don't know about that. In criticizing Obama's Libya policy, for example, she said... We are the head and not the tail. The phrase comes from Deuteronomy 28.13. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. As Rachel um, Tabachink has reported, I think that's close. It's often used in theocratic circles to explain why Christians have an obligation to rule. Well, that's, in, that's interesting. I will give her credit. That would have gone over my head. Or I wouldn't have cared. Indeed. No other candidate in the race is so completely a product of the evangelical right as Bachman. She could easily become the Christian conservative alternative to the comparatively moderate Mormon Mitt Romney. Michelle Bachman's a complete package, says Ralph Reed, the former Christian coalition Wunderkind, who now runs the Faith and Freedom Coalition. There is nothing in that sentence I liked, by the way. She's got charisma. <laughs> Sorry, that's a, 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 a callback to an old David Lee Roth video. Okay. Remember that? Uh, she's got charisma. She's got an authentic faith testimony. She's a proven fighter for conservative values, and she's well-known. She's also great at raising money. In the 2010 cycle, she amassed a record-breaking $13.2 in donations. Bachman's office didn't respond 
to requests for comment. Uh, let's see. That's about her past. Nope, she had to put her feet up because her back must be hurting her. <laughs> so, yeah, then it goes into her life and stuff. Uh, in 2004, Bachman gave a speech warning that gay marriage would lead to school children being indoctrinated into homosexuality. She wanted everyone to know, though, that she doesn't hate gay people. <laughs> she just wants them dead. Any of you who have members of your family in that lifestyle, that's interesting. Hold on. Let me read that again. Any of you who have members of your family in that lifestyle, we have a member of our family that is, she said, this is not funny. This is, it's a very sad life. It's part of Satan, I think, to say that this is gay. Now, the most fascinating part about this is she knows who she's talking to. She's talking to the evangelical right, the Republicans, right? Mm-hmm. So she says, any of you who have members of your family in the lifestyle, not any of you that are in the lifestyle, because she's not talking to gay people. No, she's basically telling other people to just go out and murder the people in their family or put stars on them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in 2006, when Minnesota State Senate Judiciary Committee met for a hearing on Bachman's proposed constitutional amendment banning gay marriage. Helen Lefebvre Ronsky, who was mentioned earlier, and I I skipped over that, um, and several relatives, including um, Silineski, were all in the gallery. I wanted Michelle to put a face to this whole thing. These were family members she was hurting. They didn't intend to talk to the press. Lefebvre has always shied away from the media attention, but journalists quickly learned who they were and surrounded them, which I'm sure has to be awesome for them. So Michelle Bachman is, according to Republicans, dangerous. But isn't that exactly what you would want Republicans to say about you if you were a Republican? Yeah. What? Well, why is she so against gay marriage? She thinks they're going to turn young people gay, but most of them adopt. Well. So how are they passing on their genes to make other people gay? Is it in the genes? I think they think it's a choice. I think they decide one day that they're going to wake up. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to be gay today. My guess is she's got an ex who turned gay mm. and left her. And she's not into these robosexual things. <laughs> robosexual Futurama reference. Okay, Think Progress has assembled 10 of the nuttiest things Bachman has ever said. Ready? Number one, Bachman warned the Lion King was gay propaganda. Oh, it totally is. At the November 2004 EdWatch National Education Conference, Bachman said the normalization of homosexuality would lead to desensitization. I don't see a problem with that. Very effective way to do this with a bunch of second graders is take a picture of the Lion King, for instance, and a teacher might say, do you know that the music for this movie was written by a gay man? The message is, I'm better at what I do because I'm gay. No, it's, I'm good at music. What a Sucks fucking stretch, huh? Mm-hmm. That's too bad because if she's if she's so against gay people, then she can't enjoy Elton John. She can't enjoy Queen. She can't enjoy, I would imagine, most entertainment and books. What and if she's really a closet gay? They usually are. And um, and she's already experimented and stuff, but it's her way of, 
something like um well, the the big football player on Glee. Larry Craig was all against it. Then he got caught in a bathroom. Mm-hmm. There you go. Bachman claimed abolishing the minimum wage would create jobs. That's number two. While testifying in front of the Minnesota Senate in 2005, Bachman said, quote, literally, if we took away the minimum wage, if conceivably it was gone, we could potentially virtually, <laughs> that's a lot of lees, wipe out unemployment completely because we would be able to offer jobs at whatever level. This isn't remotely true. Even simply reducing the minimum wage would, as Paul Krugman noted, quote, at best do nothing for employment. More likely, <laughs> it would actually be con- uh, uh, sorry, contradictory. Number three, Bachman claimed that scientists are supporters of intelligent design. No one intelligent is a supporter of intelligent design. I'm sure scientists have even said, what on earth is that thing? What purpose does it serve? Yeah, but then they use science to figure it out. Yes, they do. They don't say, oh, fuck it, God made it. During a 2006 debate, Bachman said, there are hundreds and hundreds of scientists. I I would say thousands upon thousands Mm -hmm. of scientists. Many of them holding Nobel Prizes. Right now, literally holding them, looking at them. (laughs) No, I added that last part. Who believe in intelligent design. This was and is not true. Number four, Bachman claimed Terry Schiavo was, quote, healthy. Remember Terry Schiavo? Yeah. Not long after Terry Schiavo died, Bachman said she would have voted for the Palm Sunday Compromise because Schiavo was healthy. She had brain damage. There was brain damage. There was no question. But from a health point of view, she was not terminally ill. (laughs) She was a pawn. Idiot. Yeah, she really was. An autopsy found that Shivo had suffered irreversible brain damage, and her brain, said the medical examiner, was profoundly atrophied. You know what's going to happen? Huh? Michelle Bachman is going to need science to help her out one of these days. <laughs> yeah. Scientists are going to go, oh, none for you. Oh, no. Scientists are too cool to say no. They would, of course, help her and then throw it in her face. No, they're going to change her DNA. <laughs> she has to be born again for that to happen. Duh. <laughs> Bachman linked, sorry, Bachman likened visiting Iraq to, can you guess, visiting what? Auschwitz. <laughs> the Mall of America. Oh. <laughs> In 2007, Bachman returned from a junket to Iraq and told her colleagues, there's a commonality with the Mall of America in that it's, in that it's on that proportion. There's marble everywhere. The other things I remarked about was there is water everywhere. As Think Progress documented at the time, the comparison was preposterous. There's a link, but we're not going to go to that. Number six, Bachman claimed that carbon dioxide is, quote, harmless. In 2008, a Stanford scientist revealed direct links between increased levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and increases in human mortality globally. He found that as many as 20,000 air pollution-related deaths per year per degree Celsius may be due to this greenhouse gas. The next year, Bachman, who is not a scientist, said that carbon dioxide is portrayed as harmful, but there isn't even one study that can be produced that shows that carbon dioxide is a harmful gas. To that, I say we should put her in an airproof box. Mm-hmm. Let her breathe her own carbon dioxide until she passes out. We let her out and we see what she says. She kind say of, God helped her. We'll pull a Schrodinger's Bachman with that. 
because we won't know till we open the box. Uh, number seven, Bachman called for a congressional witch hunt. After seeing Harry Potter, no, that would have been awesome. Pivoting off the news of Barack Obama's alleged relationship to former Weather Underground member William Ayers and his former pastor, Reverend Jeremiah Wright, Bachman accused the candidate of having, quote, anti-American views. She then suggested that congressional liberals, including Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid, ought to, sub- ought to be subject to an expose by the media because of their views. I think people would love to see that, she told the stunned Chris Matthews. Ah, <laughs> uh, ready? Number eight, Bachman suggested gay singers should repent after getting cancer. She's, she's got a hard-on for the gays, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. Bachman saw Melissa Etheridge's cancer as a teachable moment. Unfortunately, this is a quote, unfortunately, she's now suffering from breast cancer, so keep her in your prayers, she said in November 2004. This may be an opportunity for her now to be open to some spiritual things now that she is suffering with that physical disease. She is a lesbian. <laughs> So which one? Is it the cancer or being a lesbian that's the physical disease? Fucking idiot. (sighs) Number nine, Bachman boasted about breaking the law. You might remember this one. In advance of the 2010 national census, Bachman told the Washington Times that she would break the law by not completing the forms. Quote, I know for my family... The only question we'll be answering is how many people are in our home, she said. We won't be answering any information beyond that because the Constitution doesn't require any information beyond that. She also, um, for a while, do you remember her telling her constituents not to fill out the forms? Mm -hmm. Somebody pulled her aside and said, hey, if your constituents don't fill out the forms, there'll be no one left to vote for you because your district will disappear. And she changed her mind fast. Yeah, then there would be no money either. Yeah. Number 10. Bachman claimed that Glenn Beck could solve the debt crisis. (laughs) During a February trip to South Carolina, always South Carolina, Bachman told a South Carolina audience, I think if we give Glenn Beck the numbers, he can solve this. The national debt is what she was referring to there. That's a clickable link. I got to see what that says. Maybe there's some audio. Oh, man. Wow. Okay. So Michelle Bachman votes to defund AmeriCorps, which her son joined in 2009. (laughs) The tax code has crippled the economy, Bachman insisted, and the national debt is destroying us all. We can't trust the president to solve the problems because he's bending down to dictators. And he's brown-nosing the elites that are in Europe, and he's babying the jihadists. Bachman knows where to turn for help. We need to simply tell people the facts, like Glenn Beck, with that chalkboard... The man can explain anything. I think if we give Glenn Beck the numbers, he can solve this. <laughs> that's that's the whole quote. What a dummy, huh? Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to break, and I'll try and remember what that um what that audio was that I needed to find. But uh, during the, during, the, during the Republican debate, one of the candidates said uh, that it was bad because our enemies don't respect us. They blame that on Obama, that our enemies, our enemies don't respect us. Oh, my God. They're they're so quick to jump on top of him, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see what we got here.
Ken Forey. Just want to tell you about Mail Order Zombie. Great company. They review zombie films, any zombie film, every zombie film, and it's uh, something you should tune into. So if you get a chance, go to the website, look these guys up, Mail Order Zombie, and find out what the hot zombie films are today. What's going on? These guys are right on the the cutting edge of of reviewing zombie movies. And if you're a zombie, or you want to be a zombie, or you're thinking about being a zombie, or your mom's a zombie, your dad's a zombie, your damn mother-in-law's a zombie, tune in to Mel Arbor Zombie, baby. You'll find out what's going on. Ken Forey, and that's out. I'm here with Bill Byforce and Mr. Chris to tell you a little bit about the box outside the cinema. All right, Reverend Scott. Church, church. Uh, what can we expect to find from a typical show? Two hours of just random blabber. <laughs> uh, is there anyone's coattails you wrote in on to popularity? I'm the guy that fucking burns the coattails and then pisses on them. You review all these exploitation, horror, comedy, cult, and often all-around terrible movies. You must have a strong driving force that keeps you going. Ego. <laughs> I don't know if I've heard you say that before. Uh, yeah, I've been saying that for a while. Really? I have been saying that for a while. Also, I'm high on smack. Well, it's definitely working for you guys. Yeah. People are coming out in droves to support you on iTunes. We just the other day got a, a, a one-star review on iTunes. Well, that is one That is one star too many. <laughs> Let me tell you. The worst fucking piece of shit I've ever heard. This has been great, guys. Thanks, Scott. Ah. That was good. Oh, he's got you crying over there. I'm good for the rest of the year. Nice. That was too much. Hi, this is famous Hollywood producer, Robert Evans. You know, I've made a lot of powerful enemies during my time in Hollywood. Like the time I pushed Steve McQueen in front of a moving car on the set of The Getaway because he was macking on my lady, Allie McGraw. But I've made one great friend, a boffo friend, if you will, since I retired. It's called Show Show, and it's the best fucking movie podcast ever. It's even better than cocaine, which I would know a lot about. Visit Show Show at showshow.podomatic.com or search Show Show, all one word in the iTunes store.
So, somebody that I used to work at Blockbuster with, uh, Dan, had this up on his uh, Facebook page, and I just could not believe it. I thought it was a joke. Um, let me play the audio for it first, okay? And then we'll uh, we'll take it from there. Oh, please don't have an ad in front of it. Just just play it. Oh, come on. So Romney uh, is running, Mitt Romney is running for president. And um, while he looks like the best person for the job from the Republican side, the Republicans don't like him very much. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Well, Why don't they like him? I'm not 100% on it. I'm, I, I've only been paying a little bit of attention because there's no point in all of these people until the end. All right, here it Republican is. Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney is taking some political heat for a comment that he made to some unemployed workers. At a campaign stop in Florida yesterday, Romney told the jobless group that he is looking for work, too. Yeah, I'm also unemployed. Are you on LinkedIn? Yes, actually. And uh, uh, and I'm networking. Yeah. So, (sighs) Romney says he is also an unemployed person in America. So I'll I'll read this little bit here because it's it's astounding to hear, isn't it? Mm -hmm. While it may be true, it's it's it lacks tact and um compassion for people doesn't it yes i thought mitt romney's bumps in the road ad and this is from uh, huffington post um was a very good opening salvo because it told this story calling the unemployed bumps in the road serves to render them as abstractions but when you come face to face with jobless people you realize that there's a real human life in crisis don't misunderstand me this is the language of advertising and i don't mistake Mistake it for authenticity, but it throws a powerful marker down in this election and suggests that Mitt Romney might conduct himself with a degree of sensitivity to the nation's unemployed. Whether or not he has any sort of plan to ameliorate these problems is another issue entirely. Writing about that ad, I also said, and this is, um, sorry, let me scroll up and find out who wrote this here. Uh, Jason Linkus. Um, writing about that ad, I also said that one of its strengths was what, that it did not include Mitt Romney. The thing that is often the most annoying thing about any Mitt Romney campaign, uh, what happens when you combine actual people, a discussion of unemployment, and the candidate himself? You get this from Jeff Zelaney on the stump with Romney in Tampa, Florida. I should tell my story, Mr. Romney said. I'm also unemployed. He chuckled. The eight people gathered around him who had just finished talking about strategies of finding unemployment in a slow to recover, finding employment, not unemployment, they've already found unemployment, in a slow to recover economy joined him in laughter. Are you on LinkedIn? One of the men asked. I'm networking, Mr. Romney replied. I have my sight on a particular job. Yep, that's Mitt Romney. Some unemployed derelict with nothing but millions of dollars and several homes to fall back on for comfort. He does not have a job, and that is his, quote, story. What will he do to pull himself up by his bootstraps? Oh, just battle President Barack Obama over millions of dollars worth of Wall Street campaign handouts like the rest of the hobos are doing. At any rate, that's the sort of easily, very easily avoidable rhetorical drivel that reminds me of the terrific distance between the lives of office seekers and actual Americans. 
I mean, do we really need to have the unemployment crisis trivialized one more time? Because here to trivialize the crisis one more time is Mitt Romney. I wish I had a job for everybody, where Mr. Romney said at the end of his discussion, he added. I may be unemployed for longer than I'd like. What will become of Mitt Romney if he remains unemployed for 99 weeks? Will he be okay? Zelaney, for some reason, calls the remark humble and self-depreciating. This is actually what is known as humble brag. <laughs> um, that comment is going to come back and haunt him for the rest of the campaign if he, w- if he, if he gets the nomination. Can you just imagine... Um, Just just what they could throw at him in a debate, you know? If I was Obama and I was in a debate with him, the first thing I would say, no matter what the question is, is don't forget Rip, no- Rip, Rip Romney, who's a better candidate, by the way. Mitt Romney thinks he's unemployed. <laughs> now, I, I read a... Um, a breakdown of, of his jobs and, and what he's done. And one of the big things that people are going to talk about is how he turned around the Olympics. I don't see what that has to do with running a country. Basically what he did was he got people to invest and made successful to boil it down to, you know, the bare essentials, an international sports festival. So let me stop you there. Go ahead. So, like Lisa Simpson, when she wrote a nice letter to have the Olympics have their mascot or the torch to come to Springfield. But they thought that was so compelling that they brought the entire Olympics to Springfield. Yeah. So that's basically what Mitt Romney's doing. Well, he basically got money. He, He made it successful. He ran it well, apparently. But the thing is, our country doesn't have closing ceremonies there's no time where you stop you have to leave it for the next person and you have to leave it in good shape for the next person so i don't know 50 percent of the things he's done has failed ended up in bankruptcy then now there's this whole thing about um where he was living he owns multiple houses um but he apparently was living in an unfinished basement in belmont when he voted twice for um, Scott Brown. Oh, please. Yeah. So. What, an unfinished basement of a mansion? No, just a house in Belmont, a regular old house in Belmont. Now, that's the thing. Obviously, he wasn't living there. And if he's going to commit voter fraud, can we trust him? It's all unsubstantiated, and, and no one in the state right now is going to pursue it. But there are people that are pushing this. There's actually a Republican candidate that's pushing this. He wasn't at the debate, but he's trying to get people to pay attention to it. I don't trust the guy because he's changed his position already two, three times. First, he's for gay marriage. Now he's against it. It's like, come on. What, what, I, I, you're for abortion. Now you're against it. What kills me with, with these candidates is that they are all... Or, or if they're going to be against abortion, they're against abortion in cases of rape, incest, and the mother's life being in danger as well. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. So they want to make abortion illegal. What's the punishment going to be? Force them to have a kid they don't want? Because that doesn't make the mother's life miserable. It creates a shitty child. No, no offense to anyone. Men, but 
you know, you want your parents to want and be able to love the children and take care of them to their best ability. If you force somebody to have a rapist's baby. They would give him up. Yeah. Yeah. Or they would try to stop it on their own. Yeah. That is the other problem, isn't it? It's like make it legal so that it there's not too many illegal You make abortions. it legal and you make it safe. Yeah. I don't know. Any anything anything uh you want to discuss? No. No, no stories or nothing. No religious no. crazy people. How about that lady that tried to kill you today? Oh god. Whew. Just because she's old, she has right away. No, she wasn't old. Oh, I figured she was. She was like, you know, Oh, ugly. That's what it was. She was probably 30s, but oh. damn. Drug use and whoring probably <laughs> took a lot out of her. <laughs> she just was beat down. Yeah. So. Well, she had right away coming out of the side of the road. Totally. I don't know what's wrong with you. Why don't you know that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, okay, I got I got nothing else here. So um, I have this other break made up because we have, um, you know, I try to play a certain amount of other shows, promos in each show. So uh, we'll do this. We'll come back and we'll do feedback. How about that? Okay. Tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant blissful state of agreement. I mean, the main the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really, it's isn't. not visually striking. No, I just just getting confirmation. It's just in. That's the third time though. I mean, I must. This is on. You can find us at chinstroker versus So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. You, he wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep, keep a secret. Perhaps you'd be interested in Gleecast. You watch your tone, young lady. Hey, we're not forcing you to download the internet's best or at least most booze-filled podcast about Glee. You want to be me. Who doesn't, Sue? But we know we can't be. Instead, Erica and Emily. Uh, Emily and Erica. Who am I? I just don't know anymore. I'd love to stay in chat, but I got a satellite interview. Sorry, we get off topic a lot. The point is, listen to Gleecast following every new episode of Glee. Plus, our sporadic bonus content on some of the greatest bad cinema that incorporates musical theater, 
course we dance moves. I'm going to ask you to smell your armpits. The right or the left? That's the smell of failure. Failure smells like dove. Mine has a pleasant lady speed stick scent. Kind of makes me think of candy canes. Your resentment is delicious. Visit gleecast.podomatic.com or search for us in the iTunes store. That's gleecast with a K, part of the palaver.com family. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Boy, the only thing missing from this place is a couple dozen bodies limed and rotting in shallow graves under the floorboards. We're working on that. This is a great on film from the Girls on Film Radio. Are you tired of all those vegetarian or vegan podcasts? We just listened to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema had to say about the Girls on Film Radio. A lot of good meat in there. There's a lot of good meat in there uh, that the girls talked about. You guys got a lot of nice meat over there at the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So there you have it. The meaty film discussion by meaty women. Listen to Girls on Film Radio. Girlsonfilm.podomatic.com Just like last week, a little social distortion. So, um, let's see. There's one email that um, I wrote back to the person and said that I'm not going to read it on the show this week because Frank's not here. Uh, Ed wrote to us about illegal immigration. Um, He brings up some very good points. But since you're not part of the conversation, it wouldn't be fair to drag you into the middle of it because Frank has his own definite you know, thoughts, and that's what's being addressed for the most part. So, okay. Um, we got this from Reverend Scott. Uh, he says, uh, Hey guys, so this morning I woke up with some crazy joint pain and a fever. That's terrible. I planned on, uh, was that believable? <laughs> I planned on making a segment for the show, but I just feel terrible. Sorry, I can't get anything to you guys this week, but I promise to make it up to you. Sorry, everybody. Peace and love, Reverend Scott. So, I mean, he's he is incredibly good sending something to us every week. So, I guess we can. Give him one week, huh? He's psyching you out, isn't he? I don't know. I don't know what goes on anymore. That means he's coming back double time. Oh God, he probably is. You know, you know. I was looking around at the at the at the, the desk here um, during the break, and what I really there were there were like one or two points in Lord of the Rings that I was really looking forward to. There's some there's some orcs, actually goblins, because they're in Moria. Some goblins that I really like the design of, but the Balrog. Seeing the Balrog on the screen. Again, that's an impressive design. Mm-hmm. I really, really like the way the mouth was designed and the way that when he when he yells at Gandalf, it's like a blast furnace in his mouth. I just wanted to wanted to point that out. So, um, next week, I don't know what we got going on next week. It all depends. Hey, Anthony Weiner resigned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I was I was all for him staying in office until he took pictures in the congressional gym. You said you had no problem with that earlier. No, I said I had no problem with him staying in office because it wasn't job related. But once he took pictures of himself in the in the congressional gym, you know, that's like anybody taking pictures of themselves at work. It it makes it, it disparages don't, the job. Don't you think seriously that if your last name was Wiener You'd, You'd stay, stay the out of anything that. that had to do with anything with your wiener. Yeah, I think I think if you were to go back far enough into the show when he first like started being really outspoken and we were covering the stuff he was saying, I think we mentioned something like that, like oh, if he's in a scandal, it's going to be about his junk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sad because I kind of looked up to the guy. I kind of respected him for for speaking out against people and standing his ground, but apparently you can't do that. You know, Alan Grayson, who was another person that I really appreciated because he would say what he thought was voted out. You they know, ran a very tough campaign against it's, him. It's fine to speak out and stuff, but on the other hand, with the personal stuff, don't put it out there for everybody to see. Oh, it was on his regular Twitter do it, account. Do it privately, you know? Yeah. You know who I feel... Seriously, if you're in politics, it, really? <laughs> yeah. That's why it's the name of the show. Well, it's the whole... It's the whole, you know, I'm a politician and I'm above the law crap. Yeah. You know who I feel bad for? Like, legitimately feel bad for as a person in this whole thing? Not his wife or anything the like that. The webmaster that has to look at all this Twitter crap? No, there's, there's worse stuff there. I feel bad for Jon Stewart, actually, because the two of them are friends. And he stood up for him a little bit in the beginning. Well, and... He's had him on the show, and they've been very cordial, and I think that's the end of that friendship. That's too bad. Yeah, because he's the co-worker that could threaten your job because he screwed up. Apparently, Larry Flint offered him a job. You know what? With the last <laughs> name of Wiener, he should just go for it. He's got a, Yeah, he's got to jump you know, on that, doesn't he? Yeah. Sometimes your last name just dictates what you got to be. Yeah, it really does. All right. Uh, we have one voicemail. I don't know who it's from, but you want to see what, what's going on here and we can end the show? Okay. All right. Just we, we might be under two hours. All right. Let's see. Hi. It's Demise. Loving the show, as always. You guys are fantastic. Independent presidential oh, no. candidate Reverend Scott might be too sick to campaign this week, oh. but that doesn't mean you guys can avoid my wrath. That's bullshit. I'm dead serious. No, I know, and I'm serious too. That's bullshit. Bullshit or not, your emphasis on the superficial is running rampant. You're not going to win this election just because you think you're hot. I'm incredibly hot. Okay, because you think you're incredibly hot. You continue to try and steer the focus away from the real issues and towards more personal business yeah like this conversation can, can we talk about wiener how big is it is so, it what like four inches yeah you know it's probably like like that <laughs> that'd be that'd be all right for the hauser effect i like having the physical thing in my hand i could fit in a space that was the size of my cock yes well put it away <laughs> yeah yeah I, I don't know really where i was going with that i don't either so so i think i know where you're going with that Straight to protest anything Reverend Scott stands for. Brave members of the Ku Klux Klan showed up to counter-protest. Is that right, Chris? Is that who an atheist turns to for support with your lack of faith in God? Thank God. 
the clans here. <laughs> right. Oh, so I guess you're looking for support from both God and the clan now. We'll be kind of like the guardian angels, but we don't like black people. <laughs> you two pigs make me sick. Campaigning while Reverend Scott is sick. You think you can get off that easy? Pun intended. Because when you're not out campaigning against Reverend Scott, you're doing what most atheist politicians do best. Starting another scandal. And uh, and I, I had the massage, and I'd never been to this massage therapist before. <laughs> right, right. So, um, happy endings massage parlor. Yeah. Happy ending, you need happy ending. And then she hands him a dildo. Yeah. Everybody get happy ending. Well, you know, it was really, really funny, because she's just like, well, you know, just... Tell me if I'm if I'm going too deep, and I'm just like, bring it, bitch. <laughs> well, why are you putting on that purple glove? And, um, exactly. Do you need that strap on? No, for but this? it was it was. <laughs> what was really funny though is an extra, you know, twenty bucks. She blew me. So right, well, let's, <laughs> um, let's see her suffer a little bit. Like, oh. honest to God, suffer. Oh. Yeah. Nothing worse than when they cry when they I blow know. It. <laughs> <laughs> I hate my job. <laughs> Deport me. No, <laughs> kidding. It was free. It was really, really funny. That is good. So um, I got to tell you, my penis has not felt this great in months. I have a magnificent cock for Scott. Okay. <laughs> oh, I bet you'd like to give that cock to Scott, but he isn't accepting any donations. Plus this week, you get no peace and no love. Nice job, Scott. Yeah, I like that. Ah, the most the most innocent stuff. Yes, uh, I'm a fucking idiot. Yes, you are. Cock. Ah, <sighs> got us. It's dangerous, isn't it? Mm-hmm. One editing program and two and a half hours of audio, and <laughs> you can put together anything. Ah. <sighs> That's pretty funny. And you, you've heard those shows, so you know what we were actually saying. Basically exactly what he put there. Oh, you're not helping. The funny thing is, though, the clan, isn't the clan um, very religious-based? No. I thought it was. Like David Duke's guys there. I thought there was a lot of religion involved with the clan. No? Well, I don't think so, no. They just, they just believe in Clorox bleach. Well, <laughs> yeah. No, no. Uh, political ideology, white supremacy, white nationalism, nativism, and Christian terrorism. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. It's a clickable link on Wikipedia. Christian terrorism. Christian terrorism comprises terrorist acts by groups or individuals who claim Christian motivations or goals for their actions. As with other forms of religious terrorism, Christian terrorists have relied on idiosyncratic or literalistic interpretations of the tenets of faith, in this case, the Bible. Such groups, what, what is that? Buy a truck. It's Optimus Prime running around outside. He's got to cut that crap out. It's late. Such groups have used Old Testament and New Testament scriptures to justify violence or to seek to bring about the end times described in the New Testament, while others have hoped to bring about a Christian theocracy. So I was right. The guy that was doing the May 21st bullshit is a terrorist. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that... um. They actually are Christian. The clan is a Christian group. Good for you guys. Ambulance. Interesting. They huh. could be doing runs just to see how well they take corners and That's stuff. That's true. In the we truck. do it. We we have small streets back here. It's good for the, the truck drivers. 
All right. I'm done being made fun of. How about you? I wasn't made fun of. I know, but are you done? Yes. All right. Well, let's do this. And there's that. So uh, anybody that's local, I'll be playing <laughs> in a band, which still is amazing to me, on July 30th at the Midway Cafe in Boston. Show starts at 4. I'm not sure what time we're going on. Emails are you serious podcast at gmail.com. Palavers. I said July 30th. Oh, I didn't hear that part. Yep. July 30th. Uh, are you serious podcast at gmail.com. Palaver is going to relaunch with a new design and new stuff. And uh, you can call us at 206-338-3094. Hopefully our schedules will work next week. Frank will be back. Bye. Bye. interrupt you because I should move on. Here at Real Time, we do take our responsibility very seriously as the one show, because we're on pay cable, where we can say anything and quote anything. And the uh, texts from uh, Anthony Weiner, or maybe they were Facebook messages. Anyway, they were printed this week. Uh, Most people could not show them to you. We are going to read them verbatim. We have a very dramatic reading for this, and you're here to help me to do this, to take the part of the woman that Congressman Weiner was texting to, is the star of Glee and the host of the Emmys this year, Jane Lynch. Jane, Jane Lynch, how you doing? May we have a little chamber music, please? Now, I want to stress, this is verbatim. We are not ad-libbing or adding anything. This is exactly what went back and forth between Congressman Weiner and the blackjack dealer from Las Vegas, Lisa. And if you'll start us off with Lisa's first line. Are you as passionate in the sack as you are about politics? Baby, you'd be crawling for the door to prevent me from fucking you, silly. Nice. Just what I'm looking for. I want to bang the future mayor of New York City. Making me hard. I love that you're always hard when I talk to you. I'm horny a lot. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, I'm so attracted to you. I'd probably come in like five minutes. What am I going to get some pics of Lisa to jerk off to? You know I got no camera. (laughs) Touch your giant cock for me. It needs your pussy juice. I have lots of it for you. Off to the shower. This thing is bobbing up and down. We 
wish I was in the shower with you to help. You give good head. I've been told really good. I love doing it. Wow, a Jewish girl who sucks cock. This thing is ready to do damage. I talk like a filthy whore in bed, even though I'm such a nice, wholesome Jewish girl. Ha ha. I love when a guy jerks off on the phone for me. That is so hot. I at least need to hear your voice when you come. You will surely make noise when I take you deep. I will tell you how tight your pussy feels. Oh, it is very tight. I hope I can handle that big cock of yours. I will be sore for days. Ridiculous bulge in my shorts now. Want to see? Yeah, can you send a pic? I want to sit on your cock so bad right now. Geez, I'm rushing. Let me take a quick pic. Awesome. How do I get it? Right here? It won't go away, and now I'm taking pics of it, making me harder still. So hot, you're making me wet again. Geez, I have to go. I'll hit you later. You get your ass to work and save my country from these cock-sucking Republicans. I like it when you talk about cock-sucking. And singing. <laughs> Dame Jane Lynch, ladies and gentlemen. We're so proud. Thank you. Over here. All right. End of line. <laughs>